Thanks for listening to the Crosspoint Podcast. This is the Young Adults Ministry of the Franklin Road Baptist Church in Murfreesboro, Tennessee. Here we desire to see this generation of young adults reached and revived with the gospel of Christ. We believe our generation has the opportunity to change the world as we know it. We'd love to have you join us on Sundays at 10 a.m. at Franklin Road Baptist Church. Our prayer is that our podcast will help you grow in your relationship with God. Enjoy the Crosspoint Podcast. Handouts on your way in. I think that we got some guys that can help with that. Two sheets today, just two. And so, uh, anyways, but First Thessalonians chapter number four is where we're going to be. And um, I think I got everything turned on. Good to have Johnny on the sticks back there. And so uh, <laughs> he's just sitting back there praying, like, help him not, to, help me not to mess anything up. I I know that a lot of people think that like being like screens or and like Jonas and Justin, you guys can attest to this, Michael too. Like it seems like that it's just a completely behind the scenes job and it is until you mess something up. Then all of a sudden it becomes a very not behind the scenes job because if you're in the auditorium, the whole church is like and like turns around and like who's up there? Who's the guy messing it up? And so uh, then when something's spelled wrong, everybody tries to find Matt and <laughs> so just kidding. Um, but First uh, Thessalonians chapter number four, let me just kind of talk to your head for just a second. I know we've had people that have moved in um, to the class and uh, promoted up. I know we've had a little bit of uh, transition. I know we'll have transition kind of throughout the summer. And let me just kind of share my heart. I was reminded of this once again this week. Um, when we go verse by verse through a book, uh, one of the reasons behind that is because it forces me as a teacher to teach on what God has said and not necessarily what I want to say. Um, I know sometimes for some of you it seems like, well, we can get to a, a passage and I don't feel like I get anything out of it. Most of you, when you sit down and you read your Bible, you don't just plop it open and think like, oh, okay, let's read that. Okay, At least I hope you don't. If you do, then you probably need to reevaluate your Bible reading. But um, that's a different lesson for a different day. But when we go through this, this is how we read our Bibles. So we read through it verse by verse. We read through it as a book. For me, one of the things that I have learned for just the way that I am made up, I do not do well trying to force myself to read large chunks of scripture. Um, I do a lot better of taking a book of the Bible and reading through it, trying to glean all I can out of it. First Thessalonians, when we started this series, I read through the book, I think, five times before we, I ever uh, wrote a lesson or a sermon or anything out of it. Um, I think that by the time we'll finish this series, I'll be through it close to 20 times, um, just because for me, that's what it takes to root it into me. Um, that's what it takes for me to kind of actually figure, uh, figure out what it says. I think there was a preacher a long time ago who said that before he ever wrote the first word of his sermon, he would read through the passage 50 times. Um, most of the time, we are quick to tell people what we want them to hear and not so much what God wants them to hear. And so as we go through 1 Thessalonians, the goal of it has been that we would learn to live in light of eternity. And so Paul is for the second time in this passage that we're getting ready to go through, going to address eternity. Now I'm going to remind you of some background information. 1 Thessalonians was written to which church? Help me class. Thessalonica. So the people and the Christians of Thessalonica. How was it a new church or a well-established church? 
New church, thank you. So it was young Christians, right? So these are people that were not very well established, weren't established in their faith. And someone talked to me about why Paul was focusing on eternity when he wrote back to them. Why was... What? He hadn't covered it. He hadn't covered it, right. So they had some questions. In fact, you'll see in, verse, uh, in chapter number 1, I believe, he writes to them and he says, I'm writing concerning those which are asleep. So he basically, he had maybe in passing and maybe through his, some of his teaching, he was just there for a short amount of time. So in some of his teaching, he had said, you know what? When you die, then guess what? Etern you gain heaven, you get eternity. And so he had preached this great second coming of Jesus Christ. He had preached everything that there was to know. He had preached about the dead. And then someone died in their church and they're like, well, wait a second. Like, we thought that this was supposed to be better than this. Like, why are we sad? Why, why do we want them back? And so 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 is really his second shot at eternity that he takes in the book. And so I want you to look at verse number 13. Now, I want to remind you of some context that we've covered in the previous weeks, okay? 1 Thessalonians chapter number 4 begins with Paul writing to them about sanctification. So he says, and he's, then he says this, that ye may abound more and more. So he says, I want you to be growing. I want you to be learning. I want you to be developing in your sanctification. And he's continuing that thought. He focuses for a little while on fornication, on purity. And then he moves on to some practical things, which we covered last week. And he'll come back to at the end of chapter number five. But then he says this, and he kind of stops right in the middle of some very practical things in regards to the sanctification. And he says this in verse number 13. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them which all, even so also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that, ye, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. You see how he's kind of focusing on the dead, most likely giving us the context of that someone in the church had passed away. And so now he's writing back to them because they're probably thinking like, I thought this wasn't supposed to happen in Christianity. Why do we feel sad? Why are we struggling with this? So he's specifically focusing on the dead, but then he also says, for those of us that are alive, this is what is going to happen to us. Verse number 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Would you go back and would you read verse number 13 out loud together with me, and then we'll go and we'll read verse number 18. Verse number 13, ready, begin. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. And then verse number 18, out loud together, ready, begin. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Let's pray. We'll ask God to help us. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the day that you've given us. And we thank you for this truth that we now call the rapture. Lord, the catching away, Lord, we're thankful that we do not have to sorrow as others. And so, God, I ask you would help us today to take those truths and to apply them to our hearts, apply them to our lives. And, Lord, may we truly be able to comfort ourselves and others with these words. We ask all these things in your name we pray. Amen. 
just out of curiosity, let's take a quick poll, okay? How many of you, and may I, I'll, let me give you a follow-up question after this, okay? How many of you, you've ever gotten to the point in life to where you just feel like you need a break, okay? Raise your hand, you just feel like you need a break. So pretty wow, that was like the best voting record we've probably had as a class. <laughs> it's like, he's talking about sleep, I'll vote on that one, yeah, okay. All right, how many of you right now, you kind of feel like, you know what, I could use a break, okay? Just a few of you, hands up. It's been a weird year, year and a half, whatever, like decade kind of is what it feels like, okay? Um, re recently, I was uh, looking at, we were looking at some vacation times that we could go as a family and we typically will try to get away with my parents. We typically will try to get away with just like our kids for maybe a day or two. And then we get away sometimes with, with my wife's family too. And so we were looking for some vacation uh, spots. And I remember we do a lot of VRBO stuff. And so we got on VRBO. And I remember everywhere we looked, they would give you this little percentage thing. And it would say, the location that you are looking at is 99.9% .9 booked for the days. That, so it's like, oh, great. So I'm just going to have to go down there and stand shoulder to shoulder with people. Like that's not really my idea of a vacation I like to be secluded and like not see other people's toes on vacation right beside me and so anyways but I remember I was looking at that and I was like good night so I started like a nerd looking for articles about like why are people traveling why are people doing this like why and so basically one of the things that I read and one of the things that I guess I'm kind of just logically makes sense in learning is that when people don't travel and go on vacation for a year and a half two years guess what everybody wants to do when the next summer rolls around go on vacation so all these people that last year whenever when the world shut down and life stopped and whatever happened okay no one went anywhere and so now this summer the first opportunity that everybody has the freedom to go which we had the freedom to go wherever we wanted but nobody did but anyways that's a different that's probably not even in the bible okay so we're not even going to talk about that but so this summer, guess what everybody's doing? Leaving, going, traveling, driving, spending all of their stimulus checks. Like They're like, the government's paying me to go on vacation, so I'm gonna spend it up. And the world shows us, and the way that we live our lives, many times we get to the point to where, man, I just need a break. I just need to stop. I just need to have something to look forward to. Now, I don't know if you're anything like me, but one of the greatest things about vacation is that when you can put a date on the calendar, when you know that the break is coming, you don't have any problem working harder because you know you're gonna get the break. Anybody else like that? Like if you know you're going out of town, sometimes you even find dumb stuff to do. Like that's kind of my thing. Like stuff that I haven't thought about for a year and a half, all of a sudden I'm like, oh my goodness, I'm going on vacation, I gotta get this done. It's like, you had a year and a half. Like you could have done it in the other 390 days or whatever, but you chose to do it the one week leading up to vacation. But when we know the break is coming, when we know that we're gonna get an opportunity to reset, we're okay okay with putting the work in ahead of time because we know what we have to look forward to. The same is true with the rapture. And sometimes what we miss about scripture is that scripture actually gives us the answers to how we already live our lives. And when Jesus writes, or specifically when Paul writes to this church of Thessalonica, the Thessalonian Christians, he's telling them, you've got something to look forward to. 
You've got something that you can count on. You've got something that you can plan on. You've got a break coming, so let's begin to live like you know what you have to look forward to. And so he gives us really three thoughts out of these verses. The first one is this. He gives us the purpose of his writing. He gives us the purpose of his writing. Why would Paul write to these Christians about this idea of the rapture? Why would he do it? He tells us in verse number 13, he says, Brethren, so obviously he's talking to Christians. He says, Brethren, I would not have you ignorant concerning them which are asleep. So he says this, his first purpose is to overcome ignorance. Now, if that was our goal for a lot of things in life, we would need to write about everything, okay? I saw something the other day that says, if you ever think that you're smarter than the previous generation, just look at the owner's manual of cars, okay? 50 years ago, the owner's manual of a car told you how to adjust the valves in your car. Today's owner manual tells you not to drink the acid out of your battery, okay? <laughs> Which is very true. Like, if you ever think you're smart, just see what the warning labels are. Like, you probably shouldn't drink that, okay? But the previous generation, like, they knew how to adjust everything. But our generation's like, maybe if I eat a Tide Pod, it'll make me feel better, okay? So that's the kind of world we live in. So if we always focused on overcoming ignorance, there would be plenty to write about. But Paul is specifically writing back and he says, I don't want you to be stupid. I don't want you to be ignorant. I don't want you to misunderstand this thing. So he says, those that are dead, I want to teach you how they are, what you have to look forward to and why you have hope. So he says, I don't want you to be ignorant. And here's the application of that for us today as Christians. If Paul wrote back to new Christians about how to overcome ignorance, then that means that the way that you and I overcome the often ignorance of the day and of society is by running back to Scripture. I wish I could tell you that if you came and you sat in my office with all of your problems and with all of your worries and with all of your woes, that I would have the answer to everything. But I'm not that good. But there is someone and there is a resource that is that good and it's the Word of God and your Savior Jesus Christ. Meaning this, that if you have something in your life, now I'm not talking about like how, how to change the battery. Should I drink a battery acid? Okay, if go YouTube that. Don't come to Scripture, all right? But if you have something that you feel like that you're ignorant about concerning the times, concerning the culture, concerning maybe what's being accepted, can I just encourage you with this? Don't start with Google, start with Scripture. Don't start with YouTube, start with Scripture. The Bible teaches us in John chapter number 14 that the Holy Spirit that Jesus Christ has left with us is a teacher. Meaning this, that if you pick up this word that is inspired, you pick up God's word that, that is his life-breathed words for our modern day, and you have the Holy Spirit living inside of you, you can learn a lot. You can overcome a lot of ignorance, but then not only is it to overcome ignorance in the purpose of his writing, but it's to overcome sorrow, meaning this. He says this at the end of verse number 13. He says, that ye sorrow not even as others which have no hope. He says, I don't want you just to not be ignorant. I don't want you to be sorrowful. How many of you have ever been to a funeral of an unsaved person? You ever been to a funeral of an unsaved person? A few of you. I can tell you that in the couple of years of ministry experience of being here and even growing up maybe around it, that the funerals for an unsaved person compared to the funerals of a saved person are drastically different. Why? 
Because there's a little bit of hope. Now, that doesn't take away the sting of death. It doesn't take away the missing them from being a part of your family structure. It doesn't take away even though the people that were taken tragically from this world, okay? But if you step back and you look at a Christian's funeral compared to an, an unsaved person's funeral, here's what you will see, is that there's one that is very hopeful, but there's the other that is very sorrowful. And Paul is writing back to this church and back to these Christians and he says, I don't want you to face the sorrow like everybody else. And for you and I today, here's what I want you to see. We should have a hope that overcomes the sorrow that others are facing. It doesn't take much to have, it doesn't take death to have sorrow in this life. You can turn on the news and have sorrow. You can check Twitter and have sorrow, okay? Twitter is sorrow, I think, is what it is, okay? But you, it doesn't take much to find hard and hurtful things in this life. And if you're not careful, and I want you to listen to this because next, uh, on Wednesday night we're going to start studying the mind in here, okay? You will either fill your mind with the things of sorrow of this life and you will live a sorrowful life or you will fill your mind with the hopeful things of the Word of God and have a hopeful life. Lamentations chapter number 3, I've referred to it quite often over the last couple weeks. Jeremiah writes and he says all of the great verses that we love to quote, Great is thy faithfulness, his mercies are new every morning. The ones that are on like t-shirts and coffee mugs and stuff, okay? That's what he says. He says, but this I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. What you think about will either make you hopeful or hopeless. And when Paul is writing back to them, he says, I don't want you to have sorrow like everyone else. I want you to have hope. So he gives them the purpose of their writing. He says, I want to overcome ignorance. Get it from the Word of God. Get it from the Holy Spirit. But I also want to overcome sorrow. Let's come back to Scripture for hope. But then he says this secondly. He doesn't only give the purpose, but he gives the plan. How will the rapture happen? First of all, he gives the plan for the dead. Okay? Verse number 14 through... Uh, verse number 14 and 15. Okay? He says, For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. Now he gives an illustration, if you'll recall back to our series on 1 Corinthians chapter number 15, he gives an illustration that actually cross-references with that. And here's what he's saying. If we believe that Jesus came back from the dead, then why can't we believe that he is powerful enough to raise those that are already dead? And sometimes what we as Christians fail to understand is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is not only crucial to the gospel, but it is also crucial to the rapture and the second coming of Christ. Unless Jesus is raised from the dead, we don't really have a precedent for what happens to a dead person. Does that make sense? Okay. I know this is like deep, like, like you're like, oh my goodness, it was a nice summery day and now we came into Crosspoint and we have to talk about death. Okay. It's in scripture. So let's just hang, hang on for just a second. How insane of a claim would it be if Jesus Christ died on the cross, and it could have been with his blood that he shed remission of sin, it could, have been, it could have this great story, but if he was still in the grave, and you get to the book of 1 Thessalonians, you get to 1 Corinthians, and all of a sudden Paul and all these people start saying, hey, it's okay when people die, you're going to be raised from the dead. Why? There, there's no precedent. There's nothing to look back to. 
But when you can look back to the miraculous resurrection of Jesus Christ, it gives you hope for the resurrection of the dead. Unless there is Christ's resurrection, there is no resurrection of the dead. And Paul leans on that for these Christians. He says, I came and I preached the gospel to you. I preached that Jesus Christ died. I preached that he died on the cross for you. I preached that he rose from the dead. And because of his resurrection, you now also can experience the resurrection, which means this, that if you believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, you can also place your faith and believe in the resurrection of the dead in the future. And so first of all, the plan for the dead. Secondly, the plan for the Lord. He says this in verse number 16. What's the rapture going to look like? For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. So he gives us a little glimpse of what it is going to look like for the dead, but then also what it is going to look like when the Lord returns. So verse number 16 gives you a look at that, and then verse number 17, he says, for the living. So he says, those of you that are still alive, verse number 17, then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So he says, the dead, the Lord, and the living. Here's what the plan looks like. When Christ returns, the dead will rise first. But then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together to meet them in the clouds. And here's what he says to do with that. Verse number 18. He gives us the practice. So he gives us the purpose. He gives us the plan. And then he gives us the practice. So what do we do with the truth of the rapture? And I want to get real applicational and real relevant for just a second. He says, wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Okay, I want to talk to your head and your heart for just a second. We talked about vacation. We talked about needing a break. We talked about all those things, okay, in our introduction. When my wife and I, sometimes, obviously our kids are six, four, and three, four months, five, almost five months, almost four and a half, okay? So Blakely, she's really our biggest vacation planner um, is what it comes to. Actually, she's not. We try to drive at two o'clock in the morning so that she's asleep. She doesn't really do that great sleeping at two o'clock in the morning either, okay? Now that you're filled in on all of my personal life, um, let me talk to you about scripture, okay? When we book a vacation or when we decide that, you know what, we're going to go on a trip or whatever, um, one of the most exciting things about it is to get to come back and tell your kids, okay? To get to come around and say, hey, look, this is what we have to look forward to. And, the, and even a child, even though they might not know what to expect when they get there, even though they might not maybe even be that excited yet, they know that if there's a trip coming, that means I'm going to start getting packed. That means that I'm going to have some excitement. That means this. That, that means that I'm going to change. The, that, like one of the, when we went to Chandler and Hannah's wedding here a couple of weeks or last weekend, one of the things that was so neat was I left and I told him, I was like, hey, this is when we're leaving. And I told, look, Braxton Baylor and I, I was like, that means that you need to help mommy and like not, not make mommy do all the work. Like you need, to, you need to help put stuff in the suitcases. And guess what? They pitched in and helped. For you and I as the Christian, the truth of the rapture that we just read about in Scripture is the same way as what a how a child views vacation. It means it's time to start getting ready. It means that you're going to maybe change some things in your life. It means that you're going to use it as an opportunity to comfort yourself. 
How many of you, you've ever, maybe your dad or your mom, something bad happens like the week before vacation or something, and guess what they say? It's okay, we're going on vacation. Like the world could start to melt, but if you knew you were going to the beach next weekend, you're like, it's okay, we're going to the beach. Like as long as there's still water and sand, we'll be all right. Why? Because you have something to look forward to. So you use the truth of what is to come to comfort you in the present. And the rapture should be the same way for the Christian. And sometimes if we're honest, I'm going to use your poll against you, all right? It was a trick question. Sometimes if we're honest, we raise our hand and we say, man, I sure need a break. And here's what we as human beings often do. We look forward to the next big thing in this life. Man, if I can only get to vacation, I'll survive. If I can only get to my senior year, I'll be all right. If I can only get to this, then, I'll, then I can move to something. If I can only get married, if I can only... And so what do we do? We go from big thing in this world to big thing in this world to big thing in this world. But let me ask you a question. What happens when we no longer have the hope of what's next in this world? What do we lean on? Do you want to know why older people become so much more content and almost spiritual in their older age. Heaven's the next big thing. And you know what's the hardest thing to try to teach the people in this room, me included? My natural tendency is to look forward to the next big thing in this life. Well, if I can only get this, if I can only get to this mile marker, if I can only get to this achievement, if I can attain this, then life will be okay. But at some point, there's no more hope that this life can give me. There's nothing more to look forward to. And so in that moment, I have to step back and say, maybe it's time for me to start looking forward to something in the next life. Maybe more than a vacation from my normal life, I need to look forward to a vacation and eternal life from the life that I have down here. And if we're going to live in light of eternity, it's going to overcome some ignorance. It's going to overcome sorrow and give us hope. It's going to give us a plan to look forward to. But it's also going to give us a way of life that causes us to have a comfort that others cannot experience. A comfort that causes us to live and act differently. A comfort when all of this world begins to collapse around us, when we all of a sudden don't have anything else to look forward to in this life, we can say, it's time that I start looking forward to heaven. And so here's what I want to challenge you with. What is it that right now in your life you say is not ready for heaven? Maybe it's just simply your daily walk with God. Maybe it's a prayer life. Maybe it's some sort of sin. Maybe it's some sort of lifestyle. Maybe it's something else. But what is it that right now you say, you know what? When I look at eternity and what I have to look forward to, this does not matter. 
Now all of a sudden the things that I'm trying to get and gain in this world and in this life, they can pass away. The things that you get frustrated with, the things that you get stressed about, they can go on. Why? Because I'm looking forward to what I have in heaven and the hope that I have for eternity, not just a break from the life that I have down here. And so with every head bowed and every eye closed, let's pray. We'll be done. Thanks for listening. If this lesson is helpful to you, feel free to share it with someone else or let us know by emailing us at crosspoint at franklinroad.org. You can also check us out at frbc underscore crosspoint on Instagram and Twitter. We look forward to connecting with you again soon.